always a good reminder when the children are going out to pray for them and to pray for uh, the teachers. Well, let's uh, bow again. Father, we do praise you and uh, thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. We thank you that you've revealed yourself in your word, that you revealed your son, the Savior, in your word. You revealed the wonderful, wonderful good news. And Father, I thank you that you also have given us everything we need for this life and godliness through the true knowledge of your son. And that we have your precious and magnificent promises. And Father, I pray as we look at them today that you would use them in our hearts. That you would break the heart of stone. That you would soften the hard heart. That you would till the soil. And for those of us who are yours, that you would continue to help us to yield to you that we might grow closer and closer to your son, Jesus. So we thank you for this time we have today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't take long to realize that the Christian life is primarily uh, played out, in a sense, in the mind. That's where it begins. That's where everything comes from. Our thinking, our, our mindset uh, really does uh, then really uh, reveal who we are and thus the things that we do. It reveals our interests, our desires. Um, and so, as I shared last week, the Apostle Paul actually made it clear in Romans chapter 8 that those who set their mind according to the flesh are according to the flesh, and those according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. What we think about is an evidence of where our relationship really is with the Lord. Now, for Christians, the Bible reveals, and we also know this from experience, that we're going to go through difficulties in this life. Difficulties, whether it's from sin and consequences from sin, whether it's God's discipline, whether it's trials, temptations, whatever it might be, we as believers are going to go through those things. And having shepherded for uh, many years, when I come across people in difficult situations, the ones that are not doing well usually are not doing well because of a wrong mindset, because of thinking that is not in line with the Word of God. And they need to be encouraged and have their minds renewed that they would be seeing things rightly and walk rightly with the Lord. And that's the same thing with me, and that's the same thing with you, I believe, if you know the Lord, that it comes down to our thinking. I mentioned that old saying last week, so a thought, uh, reap an action, so an action reap a habit, so a habit reap a life. It's really clear, biblically speaking also, that what we think about really does affect the course of our lives and reveals who we really know spiritually. So with that in mind, we're going to see today as we continue to look at the mindset of a heavenly citizen, we're going to answer the question, what are we thinking about? To turn your Bibles, if you're not already there, to Philippians chapter 4, and we're continuing our study of this wonderful book, and we are, we are slowly coming to a close, or coming to the end of this, and so be praying about where the Lord would have us study next after this book. Same thing for our study in Revelation on Wednesday nights. We are getting close. We are just about in glory in Revelation, by the way, and so uh, uh, it's getting close, and so be praying about what we do there. Now, again, the context of the book of Philippians he, Paul is writing to say the saints who were in Philippi. Uh, he is in Rome under house arrest 24-7. And, <coughs> excuse me, this is one of his four prison epistles, Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon, and it was most likely written 10 years after the church at Philippi was founded, around 62 AD. Now, Paul has lovingly uh, shared his desire. He has prayed for these Philippians, and he has uh, revealed his thankfulness for God's past work in them and his confidence that God would complete that work and that we, he realized his circumstances were that which God was using to bring about good. 
that uh, although he was chained, the gospel was not. And we saw his attitude to live as Christ and to die as gain. Understanding that whatever, through life or death, that Christ would be magnified. And then he shared and addressed the Philippians' attitudes in the end of chapter uh, 1 and chapter 2. And they were to be united together. They were to stand firm against the opposition, knowing ultimately that it is a sign of, of their true walk with the Lord and destruction for those who oppose uh, the gospel. And then we see that they are to be united uh, in mindset. They're to have the mind of Christ to humbly be thinking of others as more important than themselves. Uh, they're to be like Jesus to, to think like he thought. And we have that perfect example of the Lord Jesus in Philippians 2, uh, where he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being found in the likeness of men. He humbled himself, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the Father's will, to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God raised him up to his rightful place that he was before he came and took on human flesh, that all, that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. And because of that, we see what we are to be doing. If we are believers in Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done, that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We are to work it out with reverence and awe for what God has done for us, the price that has been paid for our salvation. We are to allow what God is putting in through his word, let it come out in our actions. We are to work it out. And then within that, we saw that we are not to complain or argue as believers. We're to do all things without grumbling and disputing because we are lights in this world who hold fast the word of truth. And then we, he, the Apostle Paul gave three examples, first of all himself and then Timothy and Epaphroditus of those who are allowing the truth of God to control their hearts and minds. Then in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul reminded them and he considered it right to remind them that they would face opposition, that there would be make-believers, there would be fakers, there would be the false circumcision. And Paul says, hey, we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. True believers, and certainly those who are sharing his word, those who are leading in the church, put no confidence in their own abilities, their own background, their own education, whatever it might be. They trust in Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul said, hey, if I was anyone to put confidence in the flesh, it was me before I got saved. He had all the religious credentials. But when he came to Jesus, or better said, Jesus came to him... Uh, he then saw all of that as refuse in light of the wonderful gain of knowing Christ Jesus, the one in whom he has suffered loss of all temporal things, to gain Christ. And then we were encouraged to press forward, to press on to the upward call as believers, not looking back, forgetting what lies behind, pressing forward to that upward call. And we were commanded to imitate the Apostle Paul and those who walk like him, those who are thinking rightly, those who are applying the truth of God to their real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in the context of the circumstances that are around them. Then we came to chapter 4 where we are clearly commanded to stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord, uh, the beloved, true believers loved by God and who love one another. Stand firm in the Lord. And then we saw that there were two ladies in the congregation who were godly but had a little spat going on. And we saw how to resolve conflict in the body of Christ. The way to resolve it is to be same-minded, to have the mind of Christ from the Word of God controlling our thoughts towards one another and towards uh, the situation. And as we came from that point, we saw that there were uh, some obstacles to faith that get in the way. One is division like that, but other obstacles such as worry and anxiety. And we saw very clearly from Scripture what God says about worry and anxiety, how we are to overcome those things. The reality is that we are to be anxious about nothing, but in everything through prayer, with supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension or all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. For believers, we are to pray about everything and worry about nothing. 
And yes, those things come upon us, those things in this life, but we are to cast our cares upon Him, for He cares for us. And within that, we make those requests known, and He protects our hearts and minds. And then we came to the portion we began to study last week, where we see so clearly what we are to be thinking about. So with that in mind, turn in your Bibles, if you're not already there, to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Let me read it for you. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise... Let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace shall be with you. Isn't that what we need? We need peace, don't we? We need peace in the midst of the storm. We need His peace, not the world's peace, but His peace. And so here we see that we are commanded to continually, habitually, Think about the things of Christ as we will see as revealed in the Word of God. Now, last time we looked at just finally, brethren, whatever is true. We looked at the context of this verse. And we, were, we saw that this term finally in Greek actually means as to the rest. I've got some more to say. As to the rest. And he is talking to, verse 8, to brethren. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, we are separated from God by nature, by our sin nature. But when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are placed into the body of Christ. We become children of God, adopted children of God. And we thus become brothers and sisters in Christ of one another. He is writing to believers. They are brethren. And if you might remember, as I just read this passage, the structure of this passage, he says, whatever is, and he says that six times, And he says, if there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, let your mind, end of verse 8, dwell on these things. That's the first command. And then the second command is in the middle of verse 9. Practice these things. So we have these two commands. Excuse me. Let your mind dwell on these things and practice these things. So we have... Six things or six categories that God says we are to think about and then have our mind dwell on those things. You see, the reality is the Christian life is is played out in a sense. I don't know if I like that terminology, but you understand what I mean. First and foremost, in the mind. The scripture says in in Proverbs, as a man thinks, so he is. The way you think think is is who you are. Turn to Mark chapter 7, verse 20 through 23. Mark 7. And while we turn there, is it too cold in here? Is everyone okay? You all right? Yes, no? Okay. All right. Well, the person that's just fine, the person that's cold, moved over that way. We can see where we're at, so that'll adjust the heat in here. Mark chapter 7, verse 20. Actually, I'm going to go back a little bit to verse 18. Now, he is uh, speaking to the the unbelieving Pharisees and the unbelieving leaders and the the people, and they, they, they don't hear what he's saying. And then he's going to explain also to his disciples. Uh, and so Jesus is speaking here. And verse 7, he says in or chapter 7, verse 18 of Mark, And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated? Thus he declared all foods clean. You see, the Pharisees were getting all upset at him because he wasn't doing their ritual to wash his hands before he, he, he ate the food or whatever. And he's explaining to them and also to his disciples, don't you understand, it's not what goes in you that defiles you, it's actually what comes out of you that defiles you. Notice what he says. And he was saying that which proceeds out of the mouth is that which defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, 
fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile a man. It starts in our thinking. That's where our sin is manifest, in our desires. And then when desire has conceived, it brings forth sin, and then sin, death. And each one of us knows that our sin begins with thinking, right? Sometimes really quickly, maybe if it's anger, it comes on for a second, and then we're angry, right? Um, But it begins in our minds. It begins in our minds. And, you know, we, see, we saw that uh, back in chapter 3, verse 19, that those who set their mind on earthly things are those who haven't come to Christ. They may have pretended to, but they are actually enemies of the cross of Christ. They set their mind on those things below. But we as believers are to set our minds on the things above. You see, as we look at this group of things that we are to think about, it all has to do with the Lord and what he has done, his will, and his works. All those things. And we apply those things to the realities that we see in our lives. We don't ignore what's happening, but we apply the things that are right and true and, and, and good and all those things we're going to look at today. So then we are to set our mind on the things above. Colossians 3, verse 1. If you have been raised with Christ, if you've been saved, some of you haven't been saved yet, and and the Lord wants you to be saved. He wants you to, to have forgiveness of sins. And if you have been saved, you now have the ability to think differently. So he says, if you have been raised up with Christ, Colossians 3, 1, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not the things of earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. The non-believer completely thinks about the horizontal all day long from their own perspective. We are as believers not to think that way anymore. We are to set our mind on the realities that are above, the realities of Christ and how they truly apply then to the things here below. We know in Romans chapter 12, the first application of the gospel after offering ourselves as living sacrifices, we are to not be conformed to this world, but transformed through the renewing of our minds. And it takes work. And so in our passage back in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, it says, In the end of verse 8, let your mind dwell on these things. That's one word in Greek, actually. It's a verb. It means to think according to logical rules. It was an accounting term. Take into account. Keep a mental record. Reckon or consider, it might be translated. It speaks of thinking through something logically and carefully. And I mentioned one lexicon describes it this way. It means a deliberate and prolonged contemplation as if one was weighing a mathematical problem. It's not simply a passing thought. We are to deliberately change our thinking to think about those things as we will see which are true, those things which are honorable, those things, and I'll go through the list, those things that we see in the Word of God concerning the God of the Word. So then, we are to let our mind dwell, and that's an imperative command. Believers, we need to take control of our thoughts. We need to not allow them to stray, and boy, when we go through difficulties, those thoughts come, the temptations come, and we need to take control of that, not in our own strength, but by allowing God's Word to, to be prominent in our hearts, to allow His truth to be prominent in our hearts. We are to continually, habitually be considering these things as we're going to see. And we're going to talk about these six categories. And again, this term doesn't carry a sense of of emotion in it. It's an accounting term. Uh, You know, it's all kinds of different uh, people with different giftings. Some people may be accounting in accounting. Accounting doesn't have emotion in it. It's counting. It's it's doing those things. Well, maybe accountants might say it does, but... uh, But this is the point here. We focus on these things, we dwell on them, and it's not based on how we feel about them. It's based upon the truth 
of what they are. You see, because often we dwell on things based on how we feel about them rather than the truth, okay? So we have a group of things listed. And what are these things that we are to pay attention to? This is an amazing verse because the Lord God, through the Apostle Paul, gives us some basic categories of things to think about. Categories of things to think about. And within that, it gives us categories of how to renew our mind, you see? Because I might be thinking about things that aren't honorable, and I start to think, wait a second, that's not honorable. I need to think about what is honorable. What is honorable about this? What is honorable, right? And so we're going to see it as we look through these very practical things. Now, we are to be renewing our mind, and this is not uh, positive thinking, as some would say, just to take a circumstance and make it into a positive thing in my brain. That's not what this is saying. It's not saying, you know, that we have to use the power of positive thinking or whatever that, that might be, that uh, false thought. What it is, is seeing things from a different perspective, seeing things from a godly perspective, and that's where we're going to have peace. That's where we're going to function rightly. That's where our behavior is going to manifest. The fruit, as we heard read earlier in James, the fruit of wisdom, right? That pure fruit, that good fruit that comes from thinking rightly, okay? When you got stinking thinking, it's going to come out in your actions. It's going to come out in your thoughts. It's going to come out in your words, right? But when our hearts are renewed, when we've confessed those times that we've failed, when we've confessed the wrong thinking, humbled ourselves before God, trusted in Him and started to believe the right thing, then there's going to be the fruit of righteousness in the midst of our lives. So this is an amazing verse. So what are these things? Let's take a look at them. Verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there is any excellence, and and the, the way the Greek is written here, and there is, it's an assumed true. If there is anything worthy of praise, and yes, there is, let your mind dwell on these things. And we're being commanded, continually dwell on these things. Now, it's not saying we are these, you know, uh, people who don't think about the reality of this earth. It's that we apply God's truth to everything in the midst of our lives. And we renew our hearts and minds. We're commanded to do it. And notice there are six whatevers there. Whatever is, whatever is, whatever is. This literally means all that or everything that is this, then dwell on this. Everything that fits this category, this is what you should be doing. And then there are two summary statements that begin with those terms, as I mentioned, if... If this is, and it is, if this is, then let your heart and mind or let your mind dwell on these things. Now you might remember from last week, we looked at the first one in depth because I believe it's the foundation of all of what we should be thinking about. Look at verse 8 here. It says, whatever is true. Folks, we dwell, we dwell on a lot of falsehood. I'll tell you that right now. And when you think about the future apart from what God says, when you worry about things and place all kinds of things in the future in your head, that's not true. That's false. That's false. Where we find truth is in God's Word. And we need to remind ourselves that, wait a second, what I'm thinking is wrong, Lord, I'm sorry. What does your Word say? What do you say about the circumstance? What do you say about what I should be thinking, how I should be responding? And it takes work. And you know it's a battle, it's a fight. Because we walk by faith. We believe what we read. We walk by faith. We believe what we see in the Word of God. But it is the good fight of faith. It's the good fight of faith. The good fight of faith. Whatever is true, we need to cast aside our preconceived notions, not just speaking of general truth. You know, you know the, the world will say, uh, you know, all truth is God's truth. Well, not, that's not true. There is wisdom that is from the world that may appear to be true, but it is void of God's wisdom. Therefore, it is, as James would say, earthly, natural, and demonic. God's truth comes from, as we saw, God's word. And we saw that the very characteristic of the living God is truth. Is truth. We see in Scripture that the Father is is true. 
We see in, 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 in the Word of God that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that the Lord Jesus spoke of the Spirit of God, calling Him the Spirit of truth. The one who will disclose the things of Christ to us. The things of the Father, the things of Christ, the things of God to us. Whatever is true, the things of God are true. He is true. The things of Christ are true. We know from Titus chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 6 that it is impossible for God to lie because he is characterized by truth. He is characterized by truth. He is the source of all truth. And truth is found in the word of God. That's where we find truth because I may look at my circumstance and observe it correctly, but what I may, but my conclusions in my heart may not be true if it is not based on what God has said. You see, the world functions by what they perceive and look at. They don't add in the truth of God. And so here we see whatever is true and we find truth from the word of God. We'll turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Put in a cough drop here, so if you hear it clinking around, sorry about that. Psalm 119. Let's start up a little ways at verse 142. That's a long ways up, right? Psalm 119, 142. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, the psalmist writes. And thy law is truth. Psalm 119, 151. Thou art near, O Lord, and thy commandments are true. They're true, as opposed to false, right? Psalm 119, 159. Consider how I love thy precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. 160. The sum of thy word is truth. And every one of thy righteous ordinances is everlasting. God's word is true. When Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, was praying, was praying, he prayed and he revealed in his word that he, he prayed, sanctify them in thy word. Speaking of his disciples, thy word is truth. You see, truth sets me apart from sin. God's truth, when it's running through my heart and mind, when I believe it and act upon it, it separates me in a sense. It, 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 it makes me more like Christ because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And when we are trusting in Christ and his truth is manifest in us, we will be more like him. We saw that we are to be dwelling on whatever is true. And so when difficulties come or don't come or whatever it might be, when you start thinking of things apart from what God has said about them, you need to correct yourself. Whatever is true. That's where my mind needs to be calculating and thinking about and logically working through. I need to, I need to take the truth and apply it to my life. That's the foundation for the categories, I believe, of where our hearts and minds should be thinking. Where we should be dwelling. Where our hearts should be dwelling. Let me ask you. Does your heart dwell in the truth of God? It takes work. It takes work. Now, some people do it mechanically or rote or whatever it is. I'm talking about a real relationship where you're really wanting to get his truth in your heart. Do you take out his word in the morning? Do you want to be renewed? I tell you, it's a battle. When I get up, I've got a million things I want to think about. i got all kinds of stuff I want to check. We have all this stuff on our phones we can look at right now. But by God's grace, he's given me a determination, and I want to keep that because it's his grace, to look at his word first, to renew my mind first, because I know I will stray if I look at other things. And so we need to do that on a, on a continual basis, allow his word to change our hearts. And then it's in your heart, and then it's in your dwelling in you, in a sense, so that it can be used by God at the right time that he can remind you of those things by his spirit and teach you the truth. The spirit of God is the spirit of truth. <coughs> Excuse me. So whatever is true. Now let's take a look at the rest of these, this list here, and we're going to go a little faster than we did last week concerning whatever is true. We just summarized that in a few minutes, but we spent the whole time on it last week. So do you want to get a CD on that? We'll have that 
uh, out front there for you. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. So the next one is whatever is honorable. Honorable. The term speaks of that which brings forth or calls for respect. That which calls for respect or honor. The word is used three other times in Scripture. It's used in Titus chapter 2 to speak of older men who are to be dignified or honorable. It's spoken of deacons, now male and female. We know that only elders are men, but deacons are servants. It's spoken twice, once about men, once about the women, to be dignified. Be dignified, same word, honorable. That which calls for respect. So obviously, older believing men and deacons are to be worthy of respect. Okay, It's a characteristic that is in the life that is, mani- is, is yielded to Christ and thus manifesting his character because God is dignified and honorable and worthy of respect. God meets these qualities. He is worthy of our honor. He is worthy of our respect. He is honorable. And so we are to be thinking about whatever is honorable. Now, in the correlating fashion... Think about things, there are things that are dishonorable, right? There are things that are not honorable, and we can dwell on those things, can't we? Not saying that we ignore the reality of our fallen world, that we ignore the sin around us, or we ignore our failures. I'm not saying that. But there are things that are not honorable that we can dwell on. You see, when we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are to press forward, not looking back, forgetting what lies behind. The Apostle Paul did not dwell on what was not honorable in his life. He he used it to, to describe what is honorable. All that was lost, but now I've gained Christ. That's what's honorable. You see? And so we need to be thinking of those things that are honorable. There's a lot of dishonorable things. I, I believe we can see them on TV all the time, right? Things that are not honoring at all. They're dishonoring. We need to think of whatever is <coughs> excuse me, honorable. We are to dwell on those things. And when we find those dishonorable things, if they're in our lives, we need to confess it, and we need not to dwell on them. We dwell on a great, gracious God, worthy of all honor, who has forgiven us of our sin. Gracious God. Whatever is honorable or dignified. Or dignified. So then we make sure our hearts dwell upon whatever is honorable. Let me ask you, sometimes everything that we think about isn't honorable, right? Whether it's what happened to me, something did this or that, or you know what I went through here, it's not honorable at all. I'm not saying we ignore reality, but we need to see things from a right perspective and apply God's word to it. So as we're thinking throughout the day, you might come across the thought, ooh, this isn't honorable. Lord, I'm sorry. Whatever's honorable. Let his word remind you when those things come up. Let his word remind you. I get convicted, I think, of an attitude towards something I see in the news or whatever. An attitude is not honorable at all. I think, Lord, that's wrong. That's wrong, Lord. Forgive me. Forgive me. Whatever is honorable. Whatever is honorable. Notice he gives a third category here. Whatever is right. Whatever is right. Now, this word translated right, dikaios in Greek, uh, refers to that which is right, righteous, upright, or just. Right, righteous, upright, or just. (coughs) The things that are right are those that conform to God's righteous standards as revealed in the Word of God. And the first thing we see is that God is righteous. He is right. He is upright. He perfectly conforms to his own righteous standards. In John 17, 26, Jesus prayed to the Father, O righteous Father. We know that the Father is faithful and righteous or just, same word, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He does the right thing when we confess our sins. He is faithful to do it. He is faithful 
to do it, to forgive us. We know that Jesus Christ is called the righteous one three times in the book of Acts. And he is our advocate. He is Jesus Christ the righteous in 1 John chapter 2. John says if he's writing these things that, that uh, we would not sin. But if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. You see, the most wonderful thing happened. You see, the scripture reveals that none of us are righteous, not even one. We're not right at all before God. We're sinful. And yet God sent his righteous son. His son took on human flesh. He lived the perfect life. He humbled himself, becoming a man. And he went to the cross, being obedient to the point of death. And he was sinless. And he bore the penalty for us. Our sin was put on the righteous Son of God. And when you trust in Jesus, us as wicked sinners receive the rightness or the righteousness of Christ. Whatever is righteous. Think about Jesus. Think about the standing we have in him now by his grace. Think about who he is. Whatever is right. Then also we can see in his word the right things to do. Whatever is right. Whatever is right. There's so much wrong out there. And I can dwell on it. I can dwell on those things. Folks, don't dwell on what is wrong. Dwell on what is right. I'm not saying ignoring what is wrong. I'm saying obey the word of God. Whatever is righteous or right, let your mind dwell on these things. We've got to catch ourselves. Wow, my thinking is not right, Lord. This is not right. This is not just. This is not right, Lord. I'm sorry. Help me to see it from your word. Whatever is right. Whatever is right. I can give you some practical examples. Things that aren't right. And the word will reveal it to us. We know that uh, the world says that uh, certain things before marriage is just fine. But that's not right. That's not righteous. That's not honorable. The world says it's okay to be angry if someone's done something wrong to you. God says the anger of man does not achieve the rightness of God, the righteousness of God. It doesn't work that way. We need to give it over to the Lord and let him take care of it. We give it over to him. Scripture reveals so clearly what is right, what is right. And so we need to think about that and dwell. Let your minds calculate, think about, process whatever is right, whatever is just, whatever is upright, whatever is righteous. Primarily it has to do with God and his will and his works and his ways. But what's the fourth one here? Whatever is pure. Whatever is pure. Now, immediately when we think of purity, we, we probably think of sexual purity. That's usually the thing we think of right away. And that's certainly true, but this goes way beyond that. The term translated purity here is hagnos. And it basically speaks of that which is free from sin. That which is free from sin. You think about a metal that is pure. It is, it is, it is free from contaminants. It is free from impurity. Someday I hope I'll be free from this cold, right? <laughs> Do you think about metals? They, are, they, are, they can be pure metals, right? And so this here, pure, speaks of whatever is free from sin. I don't want to think about the sinful junk. I want to think about what's free from sin. The things of Christ and the things of what he has done. What he's done in our lives. What he's done for us. What he's going to do for us. In the book of Proverbs, we have this word used in the Old Testament uh, translation, uh, Greek Old Testament translation. And he says, uh, Proverbs 20, 29, Who can say I have cleansed my heart that I am pure from sin? It's usually related to sin. We have in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, the exhortation to Timothy, Keep yourself free from sin. And it's actually our same word. Keep yourself pure, Timothy. Keep yourself pure. Are you mixed with sin? Are you mixed with sin? Not just the biggies, but what God says is sin. When we don't trust him, when we are fretting, when we're worrying, when we're, when we're angry, what are those things? Are we pure from that? You can be just by confessing. 
because he's faithful and just to forgive us. You can be set free right away. And when you do fail, which we will fail, confess it again. It's whatever is free from sin. And we see those things in Scripture. Uh, we, we, we see that God's word is that which brings forth what is pure, by the way. Uh, ben read this for us earlier, but turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his, let us show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant so as to lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure. It's not mixed with sin. Whatever is pure. I want to look at God's word. I want to look at his wisdom. I want to gain his understanding from his word. Whatever is pure. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is in rice, <coughs> whose fruit is righteousness, is sown in peace by those who make peace. Whatever is pure, whatever is pure. Psalm 12, verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words. They're pure words. As silver tried in a furnace on the earth refined seven times. So if I want to be thinking about whatever is pure, I want us to look at something that I know is not mixed with sin. And it's God's word, his truth about him, his will, and his ways, and his, and his, and his works. Whatever is pure. And now if God is going to make us pure ultimately when we're totally redeemed, when we get our new bodies, when we're glorified, that's a motivation to be pure right now. Uh, John chapter 3, 1 John 3. Actually, just turn there. 1 John chapter 3, right near Revelation, near the end of your Bibles. 1 John 3. 1 John 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, but because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Someday we will be completely separated from sin. You see, when we trusted in Jesus Christ, we were forgiven of our sins. We were declared righteous, but we still have these bodies of flesh that will be ultimately redeemed also. And they will be pure from sin. And that's the direction God is taking us. And so in that sense, we want to be pure. It motivates us to want to be righteous now, to trust him, to set aside the wickedness, to confess it, and to be more like Jesus Christ. So how do we find what is pure? It's in the Word of God. It's in the Word of God. And it centers around the person of Christ, His work, His ways, and His will. And that even which is manifest in His people when Christ is doing it. Set your mind on those things. Set your mind on those things. Well, what are you focusing on? If it's stained by sin, it's not pure. We're not to dwell on these things. Well, what about my failures? Do I forget those? No. If I failed, I confess it and I praise the Lord that he has purified me. I praise the Lord he has cleansed me. I praise the Lord that because of Christ, I've been forgiven from that wretchedness. Whatever is pure, whatever is pure. So we are to focus on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure. The next one, notice back in Philippians chapter 3, whatever is lovely, whatever is lovely, and uh, probably any newlyweds here, they're probably thinking of your wife or whatever it might be. But uh, we think of that word, right? Lovely. And it does carry that sense. But there's, it's, this was a hard one as I was studying this. Whatever is lovely. And I'll tell you, lovely, I'll tell you why. The Greek word translated lovely here is only used once in the New Testament. And so it's hard to see its context. 
but it comes from the Greek word phileis, uh, which speaks of brotherly love, and then pros, which means towards. Towards love or towards kindness. It could speak of the love of a friend or, or towards love. Of people, it could speak of that which is dear or beloved. That which is dear or beloved. Of things, it can speak of those things which are lovely or pleasant things. Lovely, pleasant, or beautiful. So of people, uh, those things that are dear and, and, and uh, of things pleasant or beautiful. And we need to be careful how we think of one another, right? We can think thoughts that are not lovely towards one another, can we? We can look at people wrongly. Give you an illustration. Scripture talks about for men that we are to live with our wives in an understanding way, according to wisdom, granting them honor as, as fellow heirs of the, of the, of the grace of God, of the grace of life. They're daughters of the king. We can look at our spouses in ways that are not lovely. We can see things wrong. We need to confess that. We need to confess that. We need to look at things that are pleasant and beautiful. What Christ is doing in people, that would be one thing. And praise him for that, right? But ultimately, it has to do about him. The things that are lovely, the things that are beautiful. We have a wonderful, wonderful God. A pleasant, wonderful, gracious, merciful God. I read part of this in Psalm 84, but I want to read this. Actually, I didn't read Psalm 84 earlier, but I want to read this. Let's turn to Psalm 84. Psalm 84. So we want to focus on that which is dear or beloved, or those things which are pleasant and beautiful in, re- in the context of, of the truth, right? In the context of the truth, not our own desires. Psalm 84. Psalm 84. Yeah, this is what, we, what I read earlier. Psalm 84. For the choir director on the gittith, and that's an instrument, that's a stringed instrument. A psalm of the sons of Korah, how lovely are thy dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. How lovely. You know, most of the stuff around here isn't lovely. It's so corrupted by sin, right? How lovely. My soul longed, even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. How lovely. Let's turn up to Psalm 135. Psalm 135. What we do regards to the Lord can be lovely. What we do when we sing praises to God, it's lovely. It's a good thing. You know, earlier when we were singing, we didn't have the choir up here. And I was standing back there and I'm like, we don't need a choir. It sounded wonderful. It sounded wonderful. Psalm 135. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, O servants of the Lord. You who stand in the house of the Lord in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to his name, for it is lovely. It is lovely. Do you know what the name Jesus means? Yeshua? It means the Lord saves. What a gracious, lovely name. Lovely Lord, our gracious God. Whatever is lovely. We sure focus on the things that aren't lovely, don't we? And we tend to do that about others around us. I'm not saying to ignore sin. God addresses how we should deal with sin, our own sin and others' sin. First of all, love covers a multitude of sins. But there are scriptures that relay how we should address that. But we tend to move away from the things that are lovely to the things that are not lovely. We tend to focus on those things about other people. And I'm certainly guilty of that. And I need to confess it, and I do. We all need to do that, right? Whatever is lovely. Whatever is lovely. So then, back in our passage, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. Let me give you one more lovely thing, by the way. Isaiah 52, verse 7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who announces peace and good news of happiness, who announces salvation. Someone who shares the gospel, that's a lovely thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a pleasing thing. Focus on these things, the lovely things, whatever is lovely. 
Well, notice as we continue, we have whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. And then we have whatever is of good repute. And I always thought, what does repute mean, right? What does good repute mean? Well, in the Greek, it comes from the word euphemia. Euphemia, okay? You meaning well or good. Phemia speaking of a report. A well or good report. These are the things which are well-spoken. The things that are well-spoken. The things that would bring forth admiration. And they come, and they're the things concerning the Lord and what he's done, his works, his will, his ways, right? What brings forth a commendation or is virtuous or is virtuous. You know, if you watch TV lately or listen to the news, almost everything is the opposite of this. It is a bad report every second of the day, right? That's all it is. It's not euphemia. It's not well-spoken. You almost rarely ever hear a well-spoken word these days in the news. It's dirty laundry that people want to hear. But with us, we should not be focused on these things. Yes, we don't ignore the realities around us. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our government. We pray for these things. But we are to have our, not be focused on the things that are not of good repute, well-spoken, that call forth for admiration. What calls forth for admiration? Our Savior, Jesus Christ. What calls forth for admiration? What he has done for us. What he does through his people that we give him glory for, calls forth for admiration. What Christ has done. What is of good report. What's a good report. And again, think of all these things. You can think of the opposite or the corollaries. And those are the things that we are to avoid, not ignore, but change our hearts and minds and see things differently. See things differently. Whatever is well spoken. The things that speak well of God, his word, and his people. The things that speak well of God, his word, and his people. And this is where we fail. We tear people down. We focus on the bad news rather than the things well spoken. I'm not saying we ignore reality, but it should be the things well spoken. The, admir- the admirable things of Christ, even those things manifest in his people that we give him glory for. Those things well spoken, well spoken. We're to dwell on that which is admirable. And when we don't, we need to confess our sin. And we need to let the word focus our hearts so that we don't become those who are constantly complaining about everything, complaining <coughs> about everything, seeing everything from a wrong perspective. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. And then we have two summary statements that really encompass everything so we don't miss and, and, and get distracted on what we think those things are. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. That really brings it down to what we need to understand, right? If there is any excellence, and then a parallel statement, anything worthy of praise, and the statement is assumed to be true in the original language. The term excellence, arete in Greek, speaks of that which is virtuous or excellent. It's used in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, to speak of the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It is used in 2 Peter to speak of his glory and excellence by which he has called us by. It's also used to speak of those things that we should be applying in the context of faith. Chapter 2 Peter 1, 5 and then supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence knowledge. If there's anything excellent, it could be translated even praiseworthy. You see, we think of the things that aren't praiseworthy at all. If you're not going to give thanks to God for it, don't focus on it. Don't focus on it, right? I'm not saying we ignore reality. I'm not saying we don't pray about the difficult things or pray about sinful circumstances that have happened to us, whatever it might be. We're not ignoring that. But it says, if it is excellent, we need to renew our minds. What a, what a counseling session this would be if the counselors would use this truth. Because 
what I've found in my bad thinking and others' thinking is it's our thinking. It's our stinking thinking. Our thinking is not right. And when we renew our minds with the truth of God, what a difference. Whatever is excellent. Whatever is excellent. And then notice he says here, if anything is worthy of praise. Worthy of praise. It speaks of praiseworthy. Speaks of that which would cause us to give God glory. Things that cause us to thank God, to praise Him. If there is anything that raises to the level that is equal or worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. And I tell you right now, if we just took these two categories and laid them over our thinking, we would have drastically different mindsets throughout the day, right? Excellent and worthy of praise. We've got to renew our minds because a lot of what we think about is not worthy of praise. And we need to confess our sin. We need to look in the Word of God. And once you start looking, if you're a real believer, there's a lot to praise Him about. That's why it's such a blessing to come to church if you know Him. Because you want to praise Him for what He's done. You want to sing His praises, declare His excellencies. If you know Him, if you don't, you don't want to do that. But God will convict you of sin and save you and you will want to do it. If it is excellent, if it is praiseworthy... When you think about that in our conversations with others, so often they can degrade to the things that are not excellent and not praiseworthy, right? So then what are we to be thinking about? Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, If there is anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Brother and sister, our walk begins in our hearts and minds. It's the centers, it centers around our thinking. Today we've heard these categories in which we should be filtering our thoughts. Are you willing to obey the Lord? Have you failed? Confess. We will fail each day. Confess and be forgiven. So then we are to be continually dwelling on those things that are excellent and praiseworthy. Now there might be some of you here today who are sufficiently frustrated. You're saying, I recognize all this now, and I recognize I should be thinking this way, but I I can't. How do I do it? Well, first of all, if you don't know Christ, you have no actual control over your thinking. Scripture makes it clear that... uh, what you think is an indication of where you stand with Christ. You need a renewed mind. You actually need to be born again. You need God to change you. You need the Spirit of God to enable you to think differently. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're willing to confess your sins and trust in Jesus, he'll save you. He'll forgive you of all your sin. The weight will be lifted. You'll be set free from sin. And then you will have the ability, if you desire to obey, to trust him and to think differently. That's the first step, is coming to Christ. Well, what about us that know the Lord? We need to confess sin. Any thinking that doesn't line up with this is not right. Lord, I'm sorry the way I've been thinking about this person, the way I've been thinking about the situation, the way I've been thinking about my life. It is wrong. I am sorry it is not these things. Help me to see the same situations from this perspective. Help me to do so, Lord. I trust you because you're commanding me to do so, that you will enable me to do so. We need to be watching over our hearts. Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it throw the springs of life. Don't let your thoughts just fly all over the place. Hold them in check based on the truth of God by the Spirit of God. Watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life, or literally the issues of life. We're to hold every thought captive, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thought raised up against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive. Those thoughts come? Nope, not true. Not true. It's wrong, Lord. This is what you say. Right? When you give in, Lord, I'm sorry I thought that. It's wrong. Forgive me. Thank you for forgiving me. We need to renew our minds. So it's not complex. It's pretty simple. It comes within the context of walking with Jesus Christ, having a different mindset towards the things 
that are going around around you, the things that are in your heart and mind, the things of the future, the things of God, of all the circumstances in your life, to allow the Word of God to permeate your heart and your thinking, and that will change you forever. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you so much for your word, and we can't do this on our own. It's impossible. I thank you that you don't expect us to do so, but that you have given us your spirit, Lord God, those who have come to faith, and the spirit of truth will reveal your truth and teach us all things. Lord, I pray that we would allow you to teach us. We'd allow you to renew our minds. We'd allow you to help us see things this way so that we would be a group of believers that focus on what is excellent and what is praiseworthy. Those things of you, your works, your word, and your will. Help us to do so, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen.